Welcome back to another episode of Science Unscripted. Now today, we're going to be talking about something a little fun. Radiation. Well, I mean, kind of. We're talking about radioactive decay. So, kind of radiation. It's a process in which a radioactive atom spontaneously gives off radiation. So, kind of like radiation. We're talking about the process in which it's created. So, basically, as I said, it's the process in which a radioactive atom spontaneously gives off radiation, and this is in the form of energy. Um, basically, high energy particles that, uh, this whole reason this occurs is that the it allows the atom to reach a more stable state. Now, we know that basically any system will want to reach the lowest or most stable state. Now, this means that it occurs with chemical bonding and different arrangements of atoms and as well as radioactive decay. Basically, the state or the system wants to reach the most stable state, the one with the least amount of potential energy. And um, generally what happens is that states with extreme potential energy are extremely unstable. Like, think of um, ATP. That's extremely unstable because it has tons of chemical potential energy in those bonds. And it wants to get rid of or... Um, dephosphorylate, and it wants to get rid of that, which produces a lot of energy. Energy is produced when something moves from a more unstable to more stable, because all that potential energy is being released. So, this is kind of a bad way of describing, but just know that systems want to move from a state that's unstable to a more stable state. And now, this is what happens when a radioactive atom will spontaneously decay, and it gives off particles so that it can go to a more stable state. Now, this is the whole reason why radioactive decay occurs, and it's honestly pretty cool. It's like Think of it, okay, think of it this way. You are in a friend group and you always have that one really, really annoying friend that like tries to cling on to you the whole time. Like they, you can't get rid of them. Basically think of you and this person clinging on to you as a radioactive atom. It's really, really unstable because you're super annoyed. You're unstable. It's unstable because that relationship, it ain't not working out. One person is really, really annoying and the other person is just trying to get on with the day. What you want to do is Push that person away, shove it off, you're more stable by yourself. Okay, that's an amazing, yes, I'm going to use that analogy forever now. Okay, so, basically, elements in the world are made up of different forms or isotopes. Now, you might ask, why are some things more unstable than others? And I don't know if you guys know, but a lot of the atoms that we, uh, sorry, elements that we have on our periodic table... Those are just theoretical and only been created in a lab for like a few seconds. Now, this is because they're extremely um, radioactive or they're really, really unstable or they have a really, really high, um, really, really low, sorry, or short, um, half-life. Now, basically some elements are more stable. It's mostly because of the strong force and the react, um, the relationship between the amount of protons and neutrons and all the, um, different functions and are factors that go into the stability of the whole atom, but we were not going to talk about that right now, but we're going to focus on the fact that there's different forms, or as you could call, isotopes of the same atoms, now, or elements. Now, you guys might be wondering, but an element is an element, like, that's supposed to be what it is. It's supposed to be the same, but what's actually occurring is that elements exist in different forms in nature. Now, the one key de um, defining characteristic of an atom is the number of protons. That's the same for every single element, atom of the same element. That's the one key defining characteristic, the number of protons, which will have in the same amount of electrons if it's not an ion. So the diff that must mean that they, ha they don't differ in protons. They don't differ in electrons if they're not ionic or if they're stable, neutral charge. Um, so they must differ in the number of neutrons. And the 
basically, that also means that they differ in the number, the atomic mass. So you can think of it, atomic number, that's the, the proton. That's what defines the characteristics, and that's what makes an atom a specific element. Now you have the neutrons. Those are different. They can vary between different isotopes, because an isotope is basically an atom um, that is of the same element, same number of protons, but different neutrons. So basically, when they differ in the number of neutrons, this can change their atomic mass. It can change their stability and basically their radioactivity, and it can change a lot of functions. But because the neutrons aren't really involved in like the electrostatic forces, or they're mostly only involved in like the weak force and all that stuff, they don't really play a huge role in the characteristics of the elements, but they do play a role in the isotopic nature. So basically, when you see like the atomic mass on a periodic table, that's just an average. It's an average based upon the relative abundance of all the different isotopes. Say like, for instance, you have hydrogen. Hydrogen has two isotopes, um, or I'm pretty sure it has two isotopes. There's um, deuterium and what's the other one? Okay, I forgot the other one. That's not important. Basically, there's two isotopes, one that has no neutrons and one that has one neutron. So basically, the atomic mass, each proton and neutron basically take up one atomic mass unit. Now this isn't exact, their mass isn't exactly one atomic mass unit, but we're just gonna say for easy sake, one atomic mass unit for both. So basically hydrogen, first one deuterium, no neutron, it is just one atomic mass unit. That's it, because it's just a proton. It has an electron, that makes up a really, really small mass. So we don't really, we, the electron mass is negligible when we're counting like or um, calculating atomic mass. Now, if you have the other isotope of hydrogen, which is, they also can be, isotopes can also be named on the mass number. So hydrogen one would be like um, deuterium, only one proton, no neutron. Hydrogen two, that would be neutron and a proton, atomic mass unit two, because one proton, one neutron, they both have one atomic mass unit, together that's two. So they're two different isotopes. Now the relative abundance of each will then be used to calculate the basically average atomic mass, which is then put into the periodic table. So obviously hydrogen, um, hydrogen one, the one that it only has a proton, that's a lot more abundant. So when you see the um, atomic mass of hydrogen, it's gonna be way closer to one, but it's not exactly one because of it has, it still has that isotopic nature of hydrogen. Hydrogen two that has some abundance in the, in the world. So it has to be put a little bit towards like contribute a little bit towards the atomic mass. Okay, so um, moving on. Stability is mostly in like different isotopes. It's mostly affected by the ratio of protons to neutrons. Now this is really, really important. So basically in atoms or elements with fewer protons or atomic number, they usually are existing stably in about a one-to-one -one ratio of protons and neutrons. So, um, but as nucleus gets bigger, so like as you get higher, um, larger numbers, larger atomic number, um, the ratio goes more to increase in the number of uh, of neutrons. So as the nucleus gets bigger, um, due to the increase of neutrons, the um, strong force gets weaker. So what happens is that there's this thing called the strong force. Um, it basically holds together protons and it holds them together in the nucleus um, basically making sure that the nucleus is compact. Now, this is really, really confusing because you're like, well, the electrostatic force should be repelling because protons are light charges. Now, this is true. You are right. But the strong force exists. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. There's gluons, interactions, but we're not going to go into the strong force right now. But just know that the strong force holds together protons, but it acts 
really, really strongly, hence the strong force, but only in a really small distances. So when the protons are getting larger, when the protons are getting larger, when the distance between the protons is getting larger because um, the atomic radius, the atomic nucleus, sorry, is increasing because there's more protons, specific protons are getting, like, say, one proton on one side of the atom, on one side of the neutron, sorry, nucleus, is farther away from the other, another proton on the other side of the nucleus, the strong force doesn't act as strongly as it did, because, it, remember, it only acts over smaller distances, so that strong force isn't going to be strong enough to overcome the f forces of electrostatic repulsion that's between those two protons. So, what this, the nucleus does to basically um, contradict this force is that it adds in more neutrons. So the ratio between protons and neutrons tends to favor the neutrons as the atomic um, nucleus gets larger because the neutrons can then contribute to that strong force because it relates, it's basically an attraction between protons and neutrons and neutrons and protons and protons and protons. So basically you can think of the strong force, it's the nuclear force, the thing that holds together the nucleus. When you have more particles that it can act upon in smaller distances, it's stronger. So just know that as the nucleus increases, because of the increased amount of protons, there's more things inside the nucleus. It has to increase the number of neutrons to favor the neutrons in a higher ratio of neutrons um, to protons ratio. Because the protons are getting farther and farther away um, from individual protons together, which means that the forces of electrostatic repulsion can start to matter more and they need a stronger force of strong force. And that's contributed by the increase in uh, of neutrons. So that was kind of complex and very poorly explained, but I hope it kind of made sense. Um, if not, there's some pretty good animations and photos that explain this pretty well. Um, so, okay, so as the nucleus gets bigger, we know that the number, the ratio of neutrons, the, that gets larger in a more stable atom. So basically unstable ones are that, unstable atoms or radioactive atoms are atoms that don't have that favorable um, ratio. Now, how can we get a favorable ratio? You might have guessed it. Push off that clingy friend. Yes, we're going to get rid of products or emit energy so that we can reach a more favorable ratio or a more stable state. So, moving on. So, we already identified that the ratio of protons to neutrons, that's what helps contribute to the stability of the isotope. Now, we know that there's only two stable isotopes, H1 and um, hydrogen one, sorry, and helium three that have a neutron to proton ratio that's less than one. Now this is because they have more protons than neutrons. Those are the only two stable um, isotopes that have this. Most of them favor the neutrons. So um, several have an equal, exactly equal ratios to one. This is gonna be hydrogen, helium two, um, boron 10, calcium um, 40. Um, all other stable isotopes have a neutron to proton ratio that's a little bit greater than one. So it increases steadily to about 1.5 for heavier nuclei. And another cool thing that occurs with this called the magic number or the magic number atomic nucleus. Now this is kind of, I don't really understand this as well. I'm not going to lie to you guys, but basically there's some number of neutrons that, um, or nucleons, those are the particles in the nucleus. So protons and neutrons that achieve this like magic number that's extremely stable. So that's going to be We've discovered a few so far. It's been increasing. Like, uh, the map, you can look it up. It might even be different, but this is the, um, the numbers that I found. When I searched it up, it has been, they've been finding more stable um, magic numbers, as they're called. Basically, it's just numbers of nucleons that are extremely stable. So that's going to be 2, 8, 20, 28, 
50, 82, and 126. Don't ask me why they're extremely stable. I am not that good at physics right now. I'm trying to learn more. If I figure it out, I'll tell you guys, but just know that these magic um, nuclei numbers, those are extremely stable. So, um, the atomic nuclei consists of magic numbers or neutrons, and they have higher um, energy per nucleus, and they kind of go against nuclear decay. Okay, so decay occurs when the nucleus isn't in the um, most stable possible, and decays kind of like reshuffle the nucleus and reorganize itself to find a more stable situation or um, configuration, and this occurs through the mission of particles in the form of decay. So we're finally getting to the fun part of what radioactive decay actually is, and we're going to talk about the different forms of decay. So we know that the decay occurs because the neutron to proton ratio isn't favorable, it's unstable, so we want to make it more stable. How do we do this? We emit some particles or energy in the form of gamma rays. So Starting off, we got alpha decay. Now, alpha decay is when the nucleus breaks up into a helium nucleus called an alpha particle. That's basically um, two, um, sorry, two protons, two neutrons. Uh, that's an alpha particle, helium nucleus, and an atom called, um, basically the atom called the daughter nucleus. That's So basically spritz up into the original um, nucleus, spritz up into the daughter nucleus, but then emits a helium nucleus or an alpha particle. So as I said, helium contains two protons, two neutrons without the electrons, so it is positively charged in this case because you don't have any electrons to emit because you want to keep your electrons. So the daughter nucleus has two less protons and two less neutrons, so it does change its element. Through the form of radioactive decay in alpha decay, it can change the element. Now it's going down to um, atomic numbers. So say you had carbon that spontaneously decayed. It would go to beryllium, nitrogen to boron, oxygen to carbon. Basically, just know you're losing two of both neutrons and protons, so you're having a decrease of four mass units. Now, beta decay. There's two types of beta decays. There's beta minus decay and beta positive decay. So beta minus decay occurs when a neutron um, basically converts to a proton um, in the nucleus. Oh, sorry. No. It occurs when the neutron to proton ratio of the nucleus is high. Now, when this occurs, like higher than wanted. So when this occurs, neutrons will then convert to proton and electron, and then um, an electron is emitted uh, with also an antineutrino. Now, what occurs is that there's no mass change, but a neutron has been converted to a proton. So um, because the neutron and proton have the same mass, they there's no change in mass, but there's a plus one charge, um, and at the same time an electron is getting produced, but that is getting released and emitted, in, so that's what a beta particle is, um, or at least in the form of a beta minus, that's a beta particle. So basically the antineutrino that's emitted with the electron, that's to preserve lepton number. Now, um, basically zero lepton number is a characteristic of different particles. Leptons are, think of like electrons, talons, muons. Um, basically the lepton number, it's different for different particles. There's, and it needs to be conserved. So it's zero for neutrons and protons, plus one for electrons, and minus one for antineutrinos. Now, electron is being produced from a, a neutron which has a lepton number of zero, but then it's being produced into an electron that has a plus one um, lepton number. But lepton number has to be conserved. So we need to produce something with a minus one here comes in the antineutrino that can conserve um, lepton um, number. So, uh, yes, that's beta minus. Now, beta plus, it's the same, but kind of the opposite process. What happens is that a neutron to proton ratio in an atom is low, so a proton converts to a neutron and a positron 
um, it's like kind of like think of it as like an anti. It's a the anti um, particle to an electron. It's got the same charge as an electron, but it's positive. Um, same mass, same charge. Uh, well, same magnitude charge because it's positive, not negative. Okay, so the atomic number decreases by one because the proton has changed to nucleus. Again, mass number is conserved, um, and then it emits a neutrino in the process to maintain lepton number again. Um, and it basically atomic number decreases. We know that, and so does charge. Okay, so that's beta decay. Now we're gonna go into our last form of decay, um, which is gonna be gamma emissions. But before we do that, I want to talk about electron capture. So basically. Electron capture is when the inner um, electron of an atom is converted, is consumed by a neutral nucleus. And the Z number or the atomic number decreases by one, but there's no mass change. So um, it's that's just kind of similar to beta decay. It's just another way of thinking about it um, or another process that can occur. So now we're going to move on to gamma emission. So now gamma emission, it's not a particle. Well, I mean, it is a particle, but it's not like the particle that you would think of. It's not like an atom. It's not like a proton or a neutron. So there's, it's not accompanied by a change in mass, number, or atomic charge, or element. It's only an energy. So basically, it's when the nucleus is it, really unstable, so it reshuffles and reorganizes for a higher energy state to a lower energy state. And the nucleus is excited in this process. And because of this, it, a high energy particle is emitted in the form of gamma, gamma radiation. It's really, really high energy and it has no mass. It's kind of like, think of it as like a high energy photon. It's, those are the ones that are dangerous. They are being produced in space. They come here. Yeah, so gamma particles, these are the ones that can have high energy. They will, um, when exposed to them, they can interact with your DNA and break their bonds. And this is when mutations can occur. Other forms of radiation can do this, but what's typical of alpha radiation is that it's too heavy because it's a helium atom. It, um, helium nucleus, sorry, it can't penetrate through larger things. Beta decay can penetrate a little bit more. Gamma decay penetrates the most. So that's where most of the mutations and that's where most of the radiation effects actually occur. So that's radiation in a nutshell. I, um, that's all I really wanted to go through today. Um, I'm sorry I haven't been posting as many episodes. I've been pretty busy. But if you guys have, a sp again, if you have a specific topic or anything, just let me know. My The email that we use for this podcast is scienceunscripted13 at gmail.com. I hope you guys are keeping well, staying safe, staying curious. Let me know if there's anything I can do better or if there's any topics you want to hear. I hope you guys have a lovely afternoon and a re good rest of your day. Stay awesome.